I'm learning history in Cleveland, Tennessee. Welcome to the Curious Curators Podcast with your host, Hope Vollum, Lindsay Shirky, and Elijah Hammonds. Today we talk about the movie The Patriot starring Mel Gibson. Is it historically accurate or is it not? Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the Curious Curators. I'm Hope. I'm Elijah. And I'm Lindsay. And today we're going to be talking to you about something that really just keeps us awake at night, something that we cannot stop wondering about, and that is how historically accurate or inaccurate are a lot of historical films. So today, we're going to talk to you about The Patriot. And I don't know if everyone has seen The Patriot. It came out about 20 years ago today, but I can personally say that fifth grade me was absolutely obsessed with this movie. It was my favorite movie. Yeah, I loved it. And now 10th grade me hated it. (laughs) Fifth grade me was way into it. So this kind of came about because one day someone told me the Patriot was really historically accurate. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't seen it for probably, until I watched it for this, about 15 years. And I was even like, are you sure? (laughs) So that's kind of where this one stemmed from. And for those of you who haven't seen the Patriot, I would call it a historical epic drama. Yeah, I think that's fair. And that's it fair. is about our main character, Benjamin Martin. Who is Mel Gibson, let's be honest. It's, like, just, Mel it's just Mel Gibson <laughs> playing himself. It's just Mel Gibson in colonial he attire. He does a good job of playing himself, though. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what he plays it's, in all of his films. Yeah, it's, Basically it's goals at this point. <laughs> um, so Mel Gibson, a.k.a. Benjamin Martin, decides that he is going to join up in the colonial militia and fight some redcoats, basically. And this is basically the story of how he does that. And there's, you know, some fun things thrown in throughout to keep us all interested. Some romance. There's some romance There's in there. dogs. Dogs. There are children. There are children. And a lot of violence. A lot of and violence. And Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs is the star <laughs> of the show. With his hair down and his shirt open. Yes, he is the yeah. star of the show, the perfect bad guy. So, you know, I was kind of researching this, and this one quote stuck out to me. And I thought that it would be a really good quote to start this whole thing, start talking about the Patriot. Great. I can't wait. I didn't think you could. So this is actually a (laughs) quote from um, producer Mark Gordon. And he said that they tried to be as authentic as possible because the backdrop is real history. Mm, So while we talk about this, let's just keep that in mind. It's real history, okay? It's real history. Real history. And I believe when you were researching, you said they had, like, uh, contacted somebody at the Smithsonian, and they were kind of their historical consultant on this film? Well, see, that sounds sounds great, doesn't it? No, no. They were the (laughs) historical consultant for the costumes. The costumes, not the story. Well, I will be I will be <laughs> completely good. honest. The costumes were great. The mm-hmm. costumes were banging. I, I have only one complaint about the costumes, and we can talk about that as we move in. But uh, the costumes, I mean, I was, I was watching them, and historical costumes are kind of my thing that I geek out about. And so mm-hmm. as I watched it, I was very impressed with the historical costumes. So, you know... Good on the costume designer, good on the Smithsonian's. So. Yes, they did a they did a great job on kind of what they were given. I did read that they <laughs> looked at colonial costumes from like the war itself and just like clothing to kind of get an idea for what they should do. So I mean I think the costumes were definitely a highlight of this film. 
I mean, I think that a lot about historical <laughs> films, but I yeah, definitely... that's true. Costume dramas is it could be called a costume drama because it is absolutely stunning when you only pay attention to the costumes. And I'm a little bit sad because, like, I kind of wish people walked around like that. Like those pants were. Ten out yeah, of ten no. for me. Thankful I'm keeping my sweatpants. <laughs> Thankful those days are over. Thankful. Well, I mean, I guess I'm overruled, but that's fine. <laughs> you usually are. <laughs> I really am, and that you know what? That's okay. But I will go ahead and say that Deborah L. Scott, who was like one of the main costume designers, she made over 1,200 military outfits for this movie. That's pretty. And epic. she actually won an Academy Award in 1997. Because she was the costume designer for Titanic as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she actually had a pretty good track record, I would think, because Titanic also had great costuming. Um, And basically she was allowed into the back of the Smithsonian or wherever you go to examine things inside of the Smithsonian to see all of these costumes that Mm -hmm. they keep um, that we don't always get to see because, you know, historical clothing is a little bit more delicate than... Right, right. Well... And if you actually look at the costumes up close, because of course I did, you know, the materials were like corduroy, they were wool, um, and like the red coats were made of wool, which is historically accurate. Um, and the, even the materials were actually accurate. Um, mm-hmm. The colonial uniforms down to the amount of buttons on them was accurate. Um, I actually compared a screenshot with, uh, with an image of one of those authentic and i'm like they're the same thing wow. can you imagine filming in south carolina in the summer wearing a wool coat oh yeah <laughs> that sounds like it would be rough but probably why jason isaacs always had his shirt because <laughs> it was really warm down yeah. there that but, would do it. Yeah, I will say they did a great job on the costuming. and um, Absolutely. If you kind of just gloss over the script, like, I think it's fine. Um, but then when you kind of look at a lot of things that came from it, so Robert Redat was the screenwriter. He also wrote Saving Private Ryan. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, he read journals and letters from colonists during this time to become more accurate, to make sure that the story was accurate. And that's okay. a little bit shocking for me because so many things are not We're accurate. Just, yeah. Yeah, I think when when people say based on a true story, they take a lot of liberties. And this is one of those examples where they, they took a, a lot of liberties by combining Mel Gibson's character with multiple different characters throughout the, the South and just sort of rolling it all into this epic man who does all these things and is battling with his previous sins that happened a long, long time ago, as we are told repeatedly by him and others. So, Right, and you put the ghost. He was the ghost ghost. in the film. And I think it's kind of funny that they gave him a nickname, because during a lot of this research, I saw that a lot of these people that Benjamin Martin's character is based on had, like, nicknames. Mm -hmm. Um... So we'll kind of get into those people, but I will say that um, Francis Marion was called the Swamp Fox. Yep. And then Thomas Sumter, he was the Gamecock. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then if you even get into um, Colonel Tavington, our favorite character, played by (laughs) Jason Isaacs, (laughs) um, the nickname that the man he was based on was given is the Butcher. Yeah. So there's a lot of nicknames. Bloody Ban. Yeah, like... One of his nicknames. Yeah, so, like, there's a lot of nicknames given, so I kind of found it interesting that they kept at least that. They were like, well, we're going to give him a nickname, too, just one that no one else ever had. 
but you well, know, I that's think fair. I think a lot of that is fine and fair. It's um, to me, it was a lot of little things that they got really wrong, or things that they kind of glossed over. Yeah. Um, things they they had a lot of topics in there that were historically accurate, but were at the wrong time, or they mm-hmm. were they would have so much that was accurate. And then they throw in something fictitious, like that whole Fort Wilderness thing. Fort Wilderness is a park in, like, Disneyland. It's a ride in, like, Disneyland or or a hotel or something. It's not a real place and it never existed. And that is referred to continuously throughout the thing. And they they said it on real-world events, but then they make up Fort Wilderness and his backstory. Why couldn't they have used a real place from the French-Indian War? Right, which would have Mm -hmm. been, I mean... Or a real... uh, uh, battle or yeah, siege. Yeah, and really none of the battles that they talk about throughout the movie are even accurate. They're just a conglomeration of like six different battles that maybe sound cool, so let's just throw that in there. Yeah. Um, Do you want to kind of get into the movie? Yeah, of course. Um, so just a quick like, Benjamin Martin, as I've already said, is our protagonist. He, you know, is a family man. He has seven kids. He's a widower. And he just kind of wants to like do some woodworking on his farm with his kids and be like happy. I just want to point out the second shot in the entire movie is wrong. (laughs) We started it off strong. Uh, The corn is modern corn. Thank you. (laughs) I did extensive research on what the corn should look like. It would have been the speckledy corn, the different colored corn? Yes, but it would also have been either smaller or it would have been, um, he could have had the Virginia Dent corn, which is shorter and fatter. It still would have been very different from what they show. Um, uh, So around this time is when we actually start to see modern corn, but it wouldn't have looked like that anyways. Um, It came from, uh, it came from the Iroquois, which are from the Midwest. Mm it pretty much in the late 1770s, and this takes place in 1776. So right. I don't think it would have made it not, to South Carolina. Yeah, not realistic. Also, traveled that quick. They never specify what month it is, but they say that something is going to happen in July, which means they're harvesting corn before July. Plot, Lindsay. Plot. <laughs> why? Why did they have to harvest the corn? Because why did that to have look, to be the opening shot? They needed to look busy. We're showing how hard they work on yeah. their farm because well, the kids were planting. They could have just stuck with an image of the kids planting and then, but they have the workers on the farm because they're not slaves harvesting corn before June. Yeah, also, they're not slaves? They're not slaves. Question mark? Yeah. Are they. They are freedmen, as they say in the movie. Freedmen was not a term used until after the Civil War, by the way. Yes. So they're free, but they just decide to work on old Ben's. Plantation. He pays them. Does he, he though? Supposedly, yes. I have like a whole <laughs> separate paragraph on why oh, that's not accurate. Here we go. Freedmen is an incorrect term only came into use during the Civil War. During this time, they would be called free Negroes or free blacks. Um, only 2% of the po- black population in South Carolina was free, and it was usually women. Um, they had to get legislative approval or would be removed from the state. Oh, wow. so let's talk about that background of historical accuracy again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do kind of just want to throw in a little bit about our, like, titular characters, people that sort of make him up. Because okay. I think that that's a little bit important just because 
in the film, Benjamin Martin, a.k.a. the ghost, is a tortured hero, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. He Absolutely. didn't want to do these terrible things that he did, but, you know, he did because he, it was for, like, the greatness of, like, Britain and the colonies and right. whatever reason. He had to do what he had to do, supposedly. Right. He's, like, our original American hero, right? Mm. Well. Oof. Um, so, I was a little bit upset when I read about Francis Marion, oh, yeah, our you swamp would be. fox. Well, anyone would be. And we can say a couple of like semi-nice things about Marion. They call him the father of modern guerrilla warfare. Tactics are still used today. The father of maneuver warfare. And he's mm. credited in the lineage of modern-day Green Berets. Mm. Okay. Um, he was also kind of an awful guy. Yeah, no, he was actually the worst. <laughs> he really was the worst. He... Was called so there was a historian called Christopher Hibbert, and he is one of the most widely read popular historians of our time. And I'm just going to use this quote. He says, "Quote: The truth is not that people like Marion committed atrocities as bad, if not worse, than the Brit- than those perpetrated by the British." And then the Guardian went on to call him a serial rapist who hunted red Indians for fun. Yep, I also have that. Yeah. He he would rape his female slaves. So that black woman on the farm, yeah, was really a slave. She was she was very happy though, and she was a free woman, according to the movie. This podcast is a production of the Alderman Group and the Museum Center at Five Points. Be sure to check out all our upcoming events on our website at museumcenter.org. That's museumcenter.org. Let's continue with the show. Yes. Yeah, and he was not so like we've picked an awful character. To, to base your protagonist on. Yeah. And then there's a couple of others that, I mean, were not that awful. It doesn't seem like that we maybe could have pushed a little bit. Um, like Thomas Sumter, I mean, wasn't a great guy, but, you know, he was apparently Charles Cornwallis's greatest plague. And, <laughs> you know, he went on to serve in the House of Representatives. He was one of the reasons that Cornwallis decided to abandon the Carolinas. So he could have been a, you know, he could have been Mm -hmm. someone. We also have Daniel Morgan, who was a pioneer, a soldier, and later a politician, and Andrew Pickens, who became a brigadier general in the South Carolina militia. So I couldn't really find a ton of information about him, but, I mean, (laughs) anything could have been better than... than, Yeah, he was kind of... Could be why they did a culmination of these southern gentlemen, if you will, that they wanted to consolidation. Sort of, yes, they wanted yeah. to consolidate the character and make it. Oh, like I'm sure all of these men had previous things that they s- struggled with in their past, or things that they currently are doing that are really terrible things. So, Francis Marion, the chief among them, being. <laughs> Not, yeah, and not a good guy. <laughs> I'm not sure that it, it's not like they posted like this is based on the life of Francis Marion yeah. or something. But I guess that might have just come out later that that's who it was. But it's still kind of, yeah, you yeah. know, and that this was 20 years ago. Things were a little bit different then. For sure. We can say that. But still. It does. Um, it does. I think all that stuff was still bad. Back yeah. Then. Yeah. yeah we just, <laughs> I, maybe we just didn't talk about it 20 years ago. And to be fair, we were we were quite young at that point, so mm. I don't think that that was something that I would have ever 
That was definitely not something I ever considered when I was watching Mel Gibson prance around in colonial attire with the young Heath Ledger, who we have not mentioned yet, but great, great job. Good job. Yeah. Great job, Heath Ledger. I I think, I think my uh, look at the movie was much more nitpicky, like... In the fourth scene of the movie, <laughs> the flashcards are wrong. They have flashcards that she's teaching the little, the mm-hmm. youngest numbers. That. that was printed in 1782 yeah. at Carrington Bowls. I'm just saying, for all of the historical accuracy they tried to achieve with, like, costumes, they let so much slip it was like outside they, of it. It was like they just went with the general time period. Yes. And they were like, this is okay. Broad we'll, strokes. We'll just, yeah, we'll paint it with a broad stroke. Something similarly that I noticed was in one of the scenes, there is a white man who's a part of the Continental Army and a part of Mel Gibson's crew, and he is looking at one of these signs that says, take notice, and it goes on to explain how General Washington is offering freedom for any black man who... Never happened. ...serves, which... A, never happened, and B, these take-notice sort of propaganda, recruitment posters, whatever you want to call them, were not produced until 1798 with the quasi-war that was sort of just a... a, It wasn't even a battle. It was a naval sort of thing between France and the United States at that time. So... Not accurate, but... (laughs) Not accurate. And what's funny about that scene, too, is... Um, earlier somebody says that they don't like giving muskets to slaves. And it's funny because Washington, you should have just had George Washington say that in the movie because Mm -hmm. that was George Washington's stance was that if they gave muskets to slaves, they would rebel. Mm -hmm. Um, He was against the idea of slaves serving um, for a long time. Um, He did did finally start allowing freedmen as they call them in the movie, the free Negroes <laughs> and free blacks to serve, um, and later did endorse Rhode Island having a regiment that would free the slaves after they served, but that was that was the closest that they got to that being yeah. true. Well, and we can't forget that the British did offer freedom mm-hmm. to yes, slaves. Yes, they did. So that's kind of taken... I mean, that's just taken out of context. We're going to say, no, America did that, but mm-hmm. really, the British, the British did, did that. that. Yeah. And we, we're sort of, they sort of paint this subplot of this black man who is working and trying to fight alongside these other white men yes. to gain his freedom. And then you, so you sort of get this picture of like, oh, yeah, it's not uh, what, racism. Come on, that's not even a thing. But no. The funny yeah. thing is, Jason Isaac's character does mention that, like at the beginning, you know, by the order of King George. Um, any slave who serves in the British Army will be freed. Like, that's how you find out that the slaves, that workers are not slaves, but are paid employees Mm because they go, we're not slaves, we're freedmen. And Jason Isaacs is like, well, you can serve for the good of king and country then. But that that actually is true. It makes it seem sinister and callous, but that's what the British did is they offered Mm -hmm. freedom for slaves who served in the British Army. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say for Jason Isaacs' character, this is also a Jason Isaacs like fangirl podcast. Just to apparently, let know. yeah. Um, no, so, he played, <laughs> so he Sorry, plays. So he plays a Colonel Tavington. He's a major antagonist in the film. He is just pure evil. This yes. entire film, he's pure evil. Oh, and yeah. I did kind of write down a quote that Jason Isaacs said, and it's. 
I play all these tough guys and thugs and these strong, complex characters. And in real life, I'm a cringing, neurotic, Jewish mess. <laughs> I think that's so funny if you just think about the things Actually that he's me. done. Right? Oh I am also a mess. Um, but his character was based on a real person. One person, actually. And it's completely wrong. But it was based on one person. Um, Colonel Benastri Tarleton. Um, he was actually a baronet. He um, was later promoted to general like over the course of the war. He was sent over with General Cornwallis. Um, he was a cavalry officer. His men were called Tarleton's Raiders. And I think this is interesting for the costuming. These raiders would have worn green coats. Mm-hmm. And we sort of chatted about this earlier, but if you notice the cavalry officers in the film, the trim on their uniforms is, is green. green. Yeah. Which is a good nod to that. Yeah, I think it would have been too confusing to bring in, like, a whole group of people dressed completely in a different color. What's funny, though, too, though, um, one of one of the co- points of contention I have uh, with the costuming is that the dyes that they used back then would fade very fast. So maybe anybody who had a brand new coat, it would be bright red. But all the rest of them who had been fighting for a while, it would have been, like, this pinkish brown. Mm. Um, which would not have been as visually stunning. No, no. But it would have been funny to see pink coats. I think that would have actually been great. (laughs) Well, and it would have, I think it would have shown them, because what the movie does is it shows America as like a ragtag band of misfits. Mm -hmm. I think it would have shown that the British side also was kind of, they weren't doing so hot either. No, Um, and they, they... they struggled. It's it's a str- war is a struggle, and it's not as glamorous as we pretend that it is in films. And the mm-hmm. British were always pristine. It always showed the commanders at like these big manors, having yeah. these extravagant parties. <laughs> That's not war, though. Having dogs delivered to them and then yeah. stolen, <laughs> and then stolen, which is. But the dogs did not die in this movie. So. Which is there we go. like 10 out of 10 for that because I was a little bit concerned about those poor dogs. Yeah. But I will say just to tie up like um, Colonel Tavington, Tarleton's like story, he was called the butcher and it's kind of an awful story. Um, they were kind of going into battle. The Virginian army led by our continental army, I guess. So just kind of a militia was led by Abraham Buford. And they ended up surrendering, but at some point, somewhere, a musket went off. It shot Tarleton's horse. His men thought he were dead, and they massacred the surrendering army. 113 people were killed, Mm. 203 captured, and another 180 were wounded, which is why he became known as the Butcher and the term Tarleton's Quarter. Oh, means no quarter. Exactly. means that we're going to kill you anyway. Sorry. Mm. Um and he actually published his own account of that, like, after the war to say that, like, this was an accident, um, which we'll never know the truth. We'll never know if it was an yeah. accident. But he kind of used all of his stuff. He, he survived. Um, yeah. Unlike, spoiler alert, the end of the movie, he survived. And he went on to be a politician, and he used all of this fodder that he had gained during his time in America as a political campaign. He was elected. And funnily enough, after the release of this film, the Liverpool City Council, led by Edwin Klein, their mayor at the time, called for a public apology because of his character assassination. (laughs) I could not find if that apology was ever given. Although, he was known to be a womanizer and a rake. (laughs) I mean, 
According. <laughs> well cast. Well cast. Mel Gibson, well cast. He, he supposedly lived a life of debauchery and hell raising. So. TBH, I would have been friends with him, so. <laughs> you would have. I would have, that's fine. And he was quite young in the war. Yeah. Like, he, mm-hmm. so he's, I mean, not that Jason Isaacs is like, you know, old and gray, but he would have been a good 10 years younger than, like, Jason Isaacs was kind of portraying him, which is no fault of Jason so, Isaacs. A lot of character assassination is done in that sense, but the Patriots actually violated the rules of war way more than the British did. Um, Marion actually did kill Francis Marion, who Benjamin Martin, the main character, is based on, actually did kill British regulars and American Tories after they had surrendered. So mm-hmm. uh, Tarleton, Tavington, was not the only one who did such a thing. Yeah, yeah and I think that um, kind of what we're thinking of is, it's not like the Geneva Conventions or anything else that we're kind of thinking of right now, but I did find that um, George Washington kind of made a rules of honorable war in mm-hmm. 1775, which... It's like five rules. They're pretty basic. Like, don't assume you're welcome. Um, Cultivate local support. Respect local religious practices. Don't abuse prisoners of war. And withdraw if your objectives are unattainable. That's, I mean, that's pretty basic. Yeah. But it kind of, I don't know. I think the whole thing where you see them lined up shooting at each other and everything, it all seems very civilized. They're just in lines, like, shooting at each other, ducking down, reloading, like, it all seems just like it's very civilized, but this was kind of the beginning of guerrilla warfare, like mm. as we think about it, um, even though it, you know, happened in other places. So it's kind of wild in that way, because I always think it's very strange to just like watch a war scene um, in an older film where they literally stand in line and shoot one another. I think that's insane. Yeah. And it, it does, the, I think the movie did a good job of sort of hinting at the tactics that were used. Um, there's uh, reports of Francis Marion even and his men hiding in swamps, which is why they sort of called him the Swamp Foxes, because he had all these roots around the swamps and things sort of mapped out, and they would hide in the swamps nearby, like regular trails that they would carry like products and soldiers would walk and that sort of thing and they would jump out and do these surprise attacks and and it was in some sense savage in comparison to the other types of war that were taking place so it was pretty pretty new and ridiculous for these british men who were like what the heck is Right, like <laughs> I think, which I think is why it was like kind of fitting to call him the ghost because yes. yeah. you guys remember the f- one of the first like big battle scenes. Um, and he, well, not it's not even a battle. He's in the woods and his son is being taken away, <laughs> right. and he just comes out of nowhere with what they're calling a Cherokee tomahawk, and yes. he's just hacking them to bits, mm-hmm. and his like poor small children are helping. Yeah, are like <laughs> they're soldiers too because they're like five, but they're soldiers too. So, and they're great shots. Like, never miss. So I I think it was a really good idea to place this in South Carolina, not just because of the Swamp Fox and Francis Marion, Mm -hmm. but over 200 battles in the Revolutionary War were fought in South Carolina, more than any other state. So, of course, there's going to be a lot of action there. And this was in the second half of the war, which really confused me about the movie because all this stuff happened in 1776, and then they start referring to... Their brother joined up two years ago. He's been in the Army for two years. They repeat this throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But everything they reference is stuff that happened in 1780. Like, they time-skipped two (laughs) years somewhere. They are accurate. 
like a lot of the real life events like the siege on Charleston or Charlestown, as it was called at the time, which is Mm -hmm. historically accurate. It was Charlestown. They changed it to Charleston after the Revolutionary War, so it didn't sound too British. That's fair. Let me point this out too. Everybody should have had English accents or some form of British accents in that movie, even the Americans, because they were English. Yeah. Right. And they wouldn't. The American accent hadn't developed then, especially not like the southern accent that like South Carolina has today. Oh no, not at all. So it would have been. I mean, it would have been a completely different world at this point. And you know, it's. I think it's probably just easier sometimes for. And I'm not saying this is okay, but I think it's easier for Americans to picture like their country getting free. By, like, American-speaking Americans. <laughs> like, they need to sound American. They need to look like Mel Gibson. Mm-hmm. And they're saving that's, the world. That's fair. Um, there is one scene, though, that I think you wanted to talk about. Oh, yes. The scene that bothers me more than anything else in this entire film. So, I think that we all remember um, Heath Ledger's character is, like, seeing a girl. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, like, kind of one of the little love stories in the movie. I don't think it was a huge part, but whatever. So... They want to know, the British want to know, you know, who's hiding old Ben over here. And so we're going to find out. So they put all of the women and children and, like, non-fighting men into a church. Hmm. And they end up finding out. And Colonel Tavington tells them, like, you can make your peace with God. They lock the doors. They burn the church with everyone inside. No survivors. So this actually really bothers me because that didn't happen. Right. That has happened one time in, like, like well-recorded history that we talk about. And I'll butcher this name, and that's all right. But it happened in orador Suglaine, France. Um, and it was in 1944. Yeah, Nazis did mm-hmm. it. Yeah. It so was, the British <laughs> did what the Nazis did in this movie. Yeah. The British like, were Nazis. It was on June 10th, 1944. It's known as the orador Suglaine Massacre. Mm-hmm. Um 642 people were killed. Women and children were locked in the church and the rest of them in barns. And basically, if they tried to escape, they shot them with machine guns. 247 women and 205 children died. Um, And that's it really bothers me that they kind of included this, especially because we're going to go back to my first quote. The backdrop is real history. (laughs) Hey, it was real history from... Yeah, Nazi Germany. <laughs> yeah, so like, yeah. it it really bothers me. That's not true, and it was just used to vilify like the British and make them seem like they Inhuman. were just human. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't happen. And I think that that's awful, especially because you know I think when you put historically accurate in a film, like people are like, wow, that happened. That's that didn't happen. No, like you can't write alternative history and call it historically accurate. Right. So sorry. That bo- that bothers me more than anything else in this entire movie. Mm-hmm. And that's saying a lot because it's it's three hours long. There's a lot. Long, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's there's a lot more nitpicking that I have, but I won't bore anyone with that here. Um, but there there were some like shout outs and tidbits that were actually very historically accurate. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff that they do mention in the background happening did happen, although there's a two-year time difference that I don't understand. I felt like maybe I missed a title card. Um, no. But overall... Maybe they missed it, too. I think they missed a title card. <laughs> overall, when when you kind of came to us with this idea of doing the historically inaccurate film and talking about 
the Patriot in particular because somebody had told you how historically accurate it was. Um, I was really excited for it, and I think it would be a great series, and we should continue to do it. Yeah, I yeah. I really love the idea, and there's I mean there's so many movies that we have that we can talk about. I think I think it's important to kind of just look at what actually was going, but it like look at what actually was going on in the world. Like you, I've learned a fair bit just researching this. This mm-hmm. like I learned, I learned a lot about corn. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's definitely fair, and I learned a lot about. People like I, I was, I kept falling into people rabbit holes. Like I, I probably researched every person I could. Yeah. So as you can tell, we learned a lot from this, and we hope that anybody listening to this also learns a lot and is encouraged to go research themselves and watch the. I mean, watch the Patriot. It's, it's a ride. It oh, really yeah. is a three-hour ride. Three-hour like, ride um, took you eight hours. Yes. <laughs> okay. It's eight it, hours of a ride. Yeah. Yeah, it's a this one is a roller coaster yeah. and you know, The Patriot's pretty well known. I think that you find it on a lot of lists about historically inaccurate films. But our plan is to just really keep on doing some that maybe you haven't really heard of. But we just want to say thanks for coming by to or thanks for listening today, guys, and we'll see you again next week. Bye. 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 Be sure to join us next time as we talk all things history and tell the story of the Ekoe region. I'm learning history in Cleveland, Tennessee. Ekoe Society, Five Points Museum. Telling the story of our history. Coming together as community. I'm learning history in Cleveland, Tennessee. Oh, Coe Society, Five Points Museum Telling the story of our history Coming together as community I'm learning history, Five Points Museum